Hey guys, welcome back. Got a great presentation for you here. How cognitive behavioral therapy causes critical race theory. These are the two dominant trends in academic psychology. The two dominant ideas, two of the dominant ideas endorsed by the APA. And we may think that they are disconnected, that they are somehow orthogonal. Sorry about that word, but they are not. They are definitely connected Cognitive behavioral therapy causes critical race theory. This phenomenon happens culturally, or, or the epistemological basis of this phenomenon happens culturally. Happens, of course, it's happening within academic psychology, as we see here. So I'm going to show you here, and it happens within each of us. It is a compensation. This phenomenon is a compensation, ultimately implied by the word compensation is it's an inadequate one so if you don't care at all about academic psychology if you don't care at all about cognitive behavioral therapy or critical race theory well i think this is going to matter because we're going to talk about how this same compensatory phenomenon happens within each of us and leads each of us to do things perhaps that we don't want to do or leads us to live a life that we don't want to live com slash schedule we do free consultations the outline <clears throat> part one is context yeah just give some background of you know overall basis for uh, where i'm coming from with this what made me think of this part two historical examples of this compensation of the basis of critical race of excuse me of cognitive behavioral therapy leading to critical race theory when this has happened before in history it's happened a lot i'm gonna look at three examples part three what cognitive behavioral therapy says just to be clear if there's any confusion about it part four what critical race theory says part five look at some examples i think i think i may have taken that section out so i think part five will be just laying in the plane for you how cognitive behavioral therapy causes critical race theory all right Part one is context. Context for this discussion. So there is an apparent APA contradiction. On the one hand, it endorses cognitive behavioral therapy that you know is all about con focus, control, being a stoic. Literally being a stoic. I mean, this is a philosophy. You know, go. Uh, maybe I'll make a link to my presentation on stoicism. Now, cognitive behavioral therapy is very much based on stoicism explicitly. The guys who started, well, not cognitive behavioral therapy, but the ideas in academia that led to cognitive behavioral therapy, that was based on stoicism. It's all about, you know, regimen, creating a regimen for yourself, doing homework, getting out the pencil and paper, writing out your thoughts, writing out your emotions. That's what CBT wants you to do. But then on the other hand, the APA endorses critical race theory, which is all about free expression, indulging in, emotions, indulging in emotions, chaos, ultimately leads to chaos, internal chaos, external chaos, societal chaos, protest, you know, being a social justice warrior, protesting, people find it very difficult to believe, but this is totally true, protesting is part of the therapy if you go to a modern therapist who's very much, um, you know, 
based it for a long time in these critical race theory theories. We'll talk about why that is exactly when we say, or, or when we explain <clears throat> what critical race theory is. And yeah, that term social justice warrior, I, I know that's become a pejorative now, but back in the early 20-teens, um, or yeah, I guess 2011, when I was first in graduate school, that was a, a pride. You know, that was a term of pride. My my professor said we are social justice warriors. And I remember that he emphasized the term warrior. Very much contradicts the the impression that you get from somebody who practices CBT. Not so much a warrior, more about turning in on yourself, focus, control, you know, all that stuff that I listed there. So it seems interesting, right? We have therapists who look like this. This is me trying to make fun of cognitive behavioral therapists. But also we have protests that look like this. And I know that the APA is not causing these protests, but they fully endorse them. They would fully endorse a protest like this. I don't know if this is Ferguson or Kenosha or whatever. So strange. Strange how that can that can be. So we may typically think, well, you know, different philosophies for different kind of people. There's there's no contradiction here, or right, it's just merely a hod a hodgepodge of ideas. And, and this is true. You know, sometimes there isn't always a connection between two seemingly disparate ideas. It could just be two different ideas. And, and you know, especially in psychology, academia, people are totally fine with not being philosophical. They they don't understand the point of philosophy and you know to some extent we say this isn't their fault because they never learned they really never learned why philosophy matters how it affects psychology how we really can't have a a sound psychological theory without first looking at philosophy these ideas are too are, are too um intertwined <clears throat> Right, I mean, like my example, you can't be a civil engineer without understanding math and how math affects civil engineering. Now, you don't have to be maybe the greatest mathematician, but you, you got to understand how uh, how math plays into the ideas of civil engineering and, for example, building a bridge that doesn't collapse. So maybe there's no connection, but from my view, this just doesn't pass the sniff test. I've seen something like this compensation, how... Uh, CRT compensates for the, yeah, sorry to keep using this word, but this is the number one ASMR podcast, the epistemological lack of cognitive behavioral therapy. So I've seen this before. So we think it may just be like this, two separate spheres, CBT and CRT, and you know, you go to grad school and you just learn these two different things and that's it. And, and by the way, when I say cognitive behavioral therapy, I also mean any offshoot of that, DBT, ACT, acceptance and commitment therapy. Oh man, that's too bad. I almost forgot what ACT <laughs> stood for. Uh, that uh, that's a sign I haven't been out of grad school long enough. Motivational interviewing, um, short-term solution-focused therapy. You know all these things. Like that, this. These are all, and I know, we're probably going to get some DBT advocate who's saying, oh, no, it's totally different than CBT. Yeah, yeah, there are differences, but philosophically, it's based on the same premises, okay? Um, 
that that's what I mean when I say cognitive behavioral therapy. It's not just CBT. It's all C, CBT and all its offshoots. So we, so we think it's like this, but actually I think it's like this. We we have CBT in the center, and CRT is the offshoot of it. And I think that a connection does exist. This will help us to understand psychology as a field. And of course, it's going to help us understand what it means to provide effective therapy. And I think maybe more importantly for uh, most of you listeners out there, it gives us insight into our own psychology. Why we lack consistency or why we, quote, fall off the wagon. Why we start, you know, some kind of uh, regimen. Oh, you know, I'm going to wake up at 5 a.m. every day and run for 10 miles. Why that works for about 10 days and then we fall off and you know we go back to uh, scrolling through Twitter. So join me. <laughs> join me in this journey of epistemology. Yeah, so <clears throat> something happens in between cognitive behavioral therapy and critical race theory. Something something produced by cognitive behavioral therapy invariably causes critical race theory. That's what I'm saying here with this meme. And then something happens in between critical race theory and cognitive behavioral therapy that causes cognitive behavioral therapy there is um exhaust can we say that there's exhaust from cbt that causes crt and there's exhaust from crt that causes cbt <clears throat> same thing waste maybe waste is a better word same thing in yourself there is waste from discipline that causes a netflix binge and there is waste from a netflix binge that causes discipline and until we understand how our psychology works we're just going to be caught in this loop that just you know goes around and around forever <clears throat> or you could say mindset instead of discipline that works too okay so part two historical examples of this compensation um, you know I, I may have be addressing topics that i've, I've covered in other videos but hey as hugo says it's important to discuss things that have been decided so we have three historical examples of this the one is heraclitus versus permenides i think that's important because that is essentially the start of western philosophy then we have the sophists and the stoics um and i think that may be very indicative of what's going on now so i think it's important to talk about and then Barclay. It's not not Berkeley. It's Barclay, Bishop Barclay and Hume. And I think this led to the this schism between these two philosophers led to Kant, which is served very much for the foundation of of modern philosophy. One of the reasons why you know we had therapists who probably took a, a psychology class or you know, psychology or excuse me, we have therapists or psychologists who, who probably took a philosophy class somewhere in undergrad, maybe even grad school, but they really didn't get much out of it or it wasn't that impactful for them probably in part because a lot of the philosophy now is dominated by Kant who tried to reconcile, in a sense, these two philosophers or these two ideas from these philosophers, uh, Barclay and Hume. But I think he did a poor job. I think... Uh, Kant was more of a psychologist than he thought. But psychology wasn't even much of a field at that time, so it, in a way that Kant was kind of lost and didn't quite understand what he was saying. Yeah, it's always fun. If if you ever want to out uh, Berkeley, somebody who lives in Berkeley, 
remind them that it's actually not pronounced Berkeley. Uh, it's pronounced Barclay. Because, of course, Berkeley is named after Bishop Barclay. So it's not Berkeley, it's Barclay. Okay, so Heraclitus and Parmenides, this is pre-Socratic philosophy. We have change versus reality. Heraclitus said there's change, and because there's change, there can't be reality. And Parmenides said, well, wait, we can't live in a world that's constantly in flux. You know, as Heraclitus famously said, we can't step in the same river twice. That doesn't make sense. It makes living in the world untenable. So what Parmenides does is he accepts Heraclitus' premise, premise, excuse me, that you can either have change or reality and Parmenides chooses reality. Heraclitus says change is obvious, so we don't need reality. And Parmenides says, well, no, reality is obvious, so we don't need change. So we can see how maybe they disagree on some level. But also, but we see how fundamentally, <clears throat> at their core, they agree. We cannot have both logic and reality in the same worldview. Or, excuse me, we can't have both change and reality in the same worldview. Parmenides would say, yeah, we can have logic and reality. Another typo in this, <laughs> in this uh, presentation. Probably a bunch more that I haven't seen. So, so we understand how they, uh, let me just go in and change this because now it's bothering me. We cannot have both change and reality in the same worldview. Okay. So, so we understand now how uh, they agree fundamentally. Even though it looks like on the surface they disagree. Hmm. Maybe something going on here with cognitive behavioral therapy and critical race theory. Okay, not the sophists and the Stoics. So the sophism is all about, you know, argumentation without truth. I mean, a sophistry now is um, is very much uh, synonymous with the fabrication, like making up an argument in order to deceive somebody. You know, that's that's fabrication. It's 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 not fab. It's not an argumentation without truth. It's more of a negative, nefarious, insidious connotation to it. But sophism is just look. Um, we're we're living in this time where society is not really a threat, or society is not really a threat. So, so we have the luxury, in in a sense, to concoct arguments without reference to truth because it can't really exist. Now they are not influenced directly by the schism between Heraclitus and Parmenides, but the schism was really never rectified. I mean, Aristotle did, but. I think the sophists came before Aristotle. Stoics around the time, it's difficult to say, because I think uh, Zeno, not the guy who couldn't cross the room, He, I think he was before Aristotle. Anyways, Aristotle was this whole separate thing that, that didn't have as much of an influence on society as sophism or the Stoics had, especially in the Roman Empire. So sophism was this fun thing. It's a hey uh, argumentation. Uh, it's it's uh, <clears throat> it's not that the point of an argument isn't to point to truth, <clears throat> isn't to get at what's true. The point of the argument is to win the argument. We see this very much today with somebody like Scott Adams, <clears throat> where <clears throat> you know just just one of an argument that I I heard him say recently is I forget what he was talking about, but. He was trying to get one over on one of his opponents, and he says, well, you feel like you're right, and that's 
That's exactly how confirmation bias feels. Or when you're caught in confirmation bias, it feels like you're right. And you feel like you're right. Therefore, you're caught in confirmation bias. Very much sophistry in the original intent of that definition. Yes, confirmation bias feels like you're right, but also being right feels like you're right. So that's not really a good argument. Um, but at least Scott Adams is honest about it. He is honest and he says, yeah, you, all we have is argumentation. There's no such thing as objective truth. And so Stokes, our reaction to this, this is a philosophy of stability or truth at any cost, whatever that means. Because Stoicism didn't uh, arise um, at the fall of, uh, you, you know, ancient Greek civilization. But it was definitely popularized then. And I think that's the reason. Because, look, it, it, when this growing, and of course I say more about this in my uh, presentation on Stoicism. Yeah, okay. I've, I've referenced it twice. Now I'm going to link it in the description. I say more about this in my um, presentation on Stoicism. But this growing Roman Empire, and you know, you know the Greek Empire is ending. I mean, Aristotle knew. He's like, look at this. And Aristotle, he was like about 80 years before, I think, the Greek Empire officially fell and became the Roman Empire. It's a very unstable, uncertain times. You don't know what's going to happen. You're the civilization that you knew and grew up in is not going to last. You know it's not going to last. Hmm, is there any similarity between then and today? So we turn to Stoicism. Is there any surprise that Stoicism has become popular today young, among young men? So on the surface, it looks like they, di they disagree, the Sophists and the Stoics, but really they do agree. Right? We, we cannot have both truth and stability. And then historical example number three, Barclay and Hume. Barclay, I mean, it's Bishop Barclay, so you know a lot of his arguments are based on religion, based on the mind-body dichotomy, based on truth coming from on high, with no concern for material reality. This would be rationalism, this would be idealism, and Berkeley is extreme idealism. I mean, he is in favor of solipsism. No mind exists except for your own mind. You cannot be sure that another mind exists. So it's all about faith, truth, and freedom. Total free will freedom. Hume, however, is the exact opposite. Materialist. Focuses on facts, skepticism. Not that you can't know facts. You can definitely know facts, but how you join those facts together into concepts, that is impossible. Hume famously said you cannot be sure. You know, just because the sun rose the day before, that's no... And you can definitely be sure that the sun rose. Now, he, he, like, yes, your senses, you can use them to grasp reality. So, yes, you can be sure that the sun rose, but that doesn't give you any basis to say that the sun will rise again the next day. So it's agreed. Yep, it's it's agreed. I got an extra. It's in there. I just really want you guys to know that I know the correct form of it to use. It's agreed. We can't. We cannot have both truth and reality, free will and materialism. 
So how's the supply to CBT and CRT? Well, the kind of behavioral therapist that says, well, we have stability without reality. And because it's all references to your thoughts, your emotions, how you feel, what your, what your thoughts are in the moment. It's not about so much. I mean, yeah, maybe implied in CBT is, yeah, you change the uh, external circumstances, but not directly. And then we have CRT that says we, have, we can have reality without stability. So the SNP test, I think, here is confirmed. We have the classic struggle between empiricism versus rationalism. Facts versus truth. Reality versus logic. Materialism versus freedom. CRT is on the left, and CBT would be on the right side of that. But we need both, right? We cannot only have truth, but foundation for truth. The former leads to tyranny, of course. Because it's truth imposed on high without reference to reality, and the latter leads to chaos. Or facts without reality leads to chaos. And then, of course, tyranny. The bridge, philosophically, is induction, generalization, pattern recognition, concept formation. I'm kind of saying the same thing in different ways. And the bridge, of course, psychologically, is going to be proper emotional management. Because emotional management, or what emotions are, is the basis of what psychology is. That's why psychology exists. Because we take an ethics class, and we go, yes, this is the right way to act. And then you leave that class, and you find that it's difficult to act that way, or you can't do it, or you can only do it for a certain amount of time. So then we ask, well, why can't I always do what I want to do? And this is where psychology comes from. Yeah, not only truth, but the foundation for truth. Because if you just have a truth imposed from on high, and let's say, for whatever reason, the truth does not coincide what some, with what some people think, and you have no foundation for the truth, if you can't explain the truth other than to say God wills it, or you have to have faith, or this is what tradition is, or look, it's just common sense, then people start to rebel, and that's when you get the chaos. And that's when enough people start to rebel, and you get chaos and revolution. I think this is a huge part of the schism that we see in America, because, you know, we have the right and the left. We have the truth on the right, and we have reality on the left. And people on the right say, <clears throat> look, it's just how it is. You know, we have two genders, or we have two sexes, and, and there's... and they really don't have a good basis for saying that, although I do think that is true. They don't usually have a good basis for saying that, um, as as indicated by the fact that a lot of leftist ideas have, is, have infiltrated academia without much, without much of a fight. <clears throat> because any foundation of truth, any, any, I would say, Aristotelian philosophy has been wiped out in academia long before... For example, the Frankfurt School came in from Germany and took over, well, one school predominantly, a school I have <clears throat> some experience with. Right? Th those ideas don't have much of a chance in academia if there are ideas that can easily disabuse them. But we, but we lost that in academia. 
way before the early 20th century when those ideas came in from from Europe, from the continent, from, yeah, it's continental philosophy. <clears throat> Excuse me. And just to be clear, I, we're not going for a middle road. A middle road between truth and reality. Middle road would still leave us with the fundamental error, a contradiction, and so instability. What we need is a third highway that incorporates the best of both worlds. Reality and stability. We need a different epistemological approach for this. So in case we're not too clear, I think this is going to be important to make my final point. And, you know, it's just good review. Let's look at what cognitive behavioral therapy says. Um, so I guess the history of psychology is it began both in a lab with Wundt and it be began culturally or more as, um, uh, what, what's the word? In, in the non-academic approach, it began with Dostoevsky, I think, in Crime and Punishment. Then it swung towards, and so these are two different views, right? We have, um, we did a lot of experiments, uh, you know, very materialist foundation for psychology, and Dostoevsky was more of the idealism foundation, more of the truth without reality, um, and wound is more reality without truth. You know, we're just looking at how people respond in a lab if we hook up uh, mechanisms to them. We hook up little, uh, you know, um, what, what's it called? Clips or, man, I'm not saying it right. We hook up sensors to them and measure their response, measure their stress response to certain stimuli, you know, stuff like that. And then it's one swung towards psychoanalysis and then became too abstract with psychoanalysis. And then so it swung back toward Ellis and back with cognitive behavioral therapy. So it looks like this, like memes. So here's a meme to explain the history of psychology. We have mind over matter on one side of the metronome. We have matter over mind on the other side. That's materialism. And then it just goes back and forth. And on the mind over matter, the idealism, we have Dostoevsky, Jung, Ellis, cognitive behavioral therapy. And then on the right, we have Wundt, Freud, and critical race theory. And that's what's been going on in the history of psychology, just to give some context. But CBT is this. So we have, uh, you know, this is the famous CBT triangle. We have thoughts. They cause our emotions and behaviors. We have emotions. They cause our thoughts and behaviors. And we have behaviors that cause our thoughts and emotions. Um, so in order to change, we, we look at, our emotions, thoughts, and behaviors separately. And we say, okay, what can we do to change our thoughts? Let's just look at that because then this will affect our emotions and our behaviors. So we go in and change our thoughts and we expect some kind of effect to our emotions and behaviors. Or we look at our emotions. What can we do to change our emotions? You know, to, to put the pencil in our, mouth, in our mouth and smile. Make ourselves smile for a minute straight and this is going to make us feel happier. Or listen to, you know, good music and dance around. This is a good emotional state. Um, and this will change our behaviors and our thoughts. Or we look at our behaviors and we say, okay, well, how can we change our behaviors? And we know that this will change our emotions and our thoughts. And the thing is, is, you know, this is 100% true. There is no denying that this is 100% true, but the problem is it's not complete. And it's what this, uh, this model, what it leaves on the table 
inevitably leads to critical race theory, as we'll see. Yeah, then we have tools for each category. Okay, so you want to change your thoughts? Well, we identify them and modify them. Change your emotions? Uh, you know, same thing, I guess. <laughs> identify, modify. Maybe a breathing technique if you have anxiety. You know, calm down with the breathing technique, and then your thoughts will change. Behaviors will change. Or behaviors, you know, role play, or do exposure therapy. Uh, and, and that's really how cognitive behavioral therapy works. Uh, which which can be helpful, by the way. Before we get to the next slide, which, which this all can be helpful. Like, you know, when I criticize critical race theory, I'm not saying it is 100% bogus all of the time. This can be helpful, and I understand how people, when they go to the CBT, they get some help. But the problem is, is this is an incomplete picture of what's going on because you're not showing exactly. You're not showing the fundamental system exactly what's going on, how thoughts, emotions, and behaviors are connected. You're just kind of going in and changing one and hoping the other two will change, or changing two and hoping the other one will change. What does this remind you of? Does this remind you of anything that we just talked about? Does this remind you of perhaps tyranny from on high? That is truth, but it's there's no proper foundation for truth. And this can work in some cases, I get it, but if you have a, a real uh, obstinate case, you go ahead and change the emotion and it can work, but there's some some issue with that emotion. And I don't even think the case needs to be too difficult. Uh, you know, like, the, I, I tried cognitive behavioral therapy, it, it laughably did not work with me, and, and I have nothing in the way of trauma or, you know, any serious trauma in my past, so I can't imagine... I can't imagine what somebody goes in cognitive behavioral therapy and and is subject to this. What they must feel about it. Well, I know what you feel about it because you talk to me and you're really frustrated. And you hate it. And you don't change. And you feel like it works in the short term, but then in the long term you get even worse. I hear what you say. So I do know. So what we have to see here is that the repression, there is repression in cognitive behavioral therapy and it's implied. Vagueness leads to repression. It is inevitable because we follow rules rather than work with the material for what it is. So you just give this tool. So you have these maladaptive thoughts as it's defined by cognitive behavioral therapy. You have these maladaptive thoughts. So if you don't understand where thoughts come from or why they exist or, or what they are telling you, and then you just go in and change them. Well, you're leaving on the table where these thoughts came from, why they existed. What is the meaning of this material? You're just looking at the symptom and changing that and just hoping that what those thoughts mean, where those thoughts come from, that will all change in itself and that can work. It can work well with more of a minor issue. This does work well with dogs, right? You change the behavior, the personality changes. That works very well with dogs. Humans, a little bit more complex. Errancy inevitably arises when rules aren't based on the nature of the material. Right? Going back right to Parmenides and Heraclitus, this age-old disagreement in philosophy, but ultimately based on the fundamental agreement. When rules aren't based on the nature of the material, when you have truth, 
without reference to reality. Oh, because, you know, reality is confusing. It's constantly in chaos. You can't step in the same river twice. So what CBT does, in effect, is it scrapes the surface. It scrapes the, the, the surface of the problem. And it does scrape. You know, it does get to the part of the problem. <clears throat> and when, but when the unconscious issues come up, the answer is to scrape even harder. Let me show you what this looks like in meme form. Ultimately, objectively, the best way to communicate. So you have you, and let's say exposure therapy, but I could use any kind of behavioral therapy technique in that bubble. You have you and exposure therapy, this is the runaway balloon, but then what's pulling you back? Resistance, unconscious baggage, unresolved emotional conflicts. And the, ther you know, the exposure therapy can work in some situations, but if there's a real issue there that you are not speaking to or you are not processing then the exposure therapy is only going to work short term. I mean, classic example, of course. Oh, wait, I have examples. <laughs> I don't need to come up with examples on the fly. I forgot I already thought of them. So if you have resistance to going to a party. Now, going to a party, that, you know, let's say you have social anxiety, so you want to go out more. Okay, so you're going to get more meetups, or you're hanging out with friends more, or you're you know, hanging out with mixed company more. Okay, great. Uh, so you meet with your kind of behavioral therapist and you both agree, yes, exposing myself to this anxious, anxiety-provoking situation will make me less anxious over time. That's how the theory goes, and that can definitely work. Um, but the more you go to the party, and this happens a lot, the more you try to go to a party, and the more resistance you feel, and then when you're in a bad mood, it gets even worse, and the isolation gets even worse. Well, what's going on there? It's not just about you and the party or you and your social anxiety, although that may be a factor. You can have resistance to going to parties in general, resistance to going to parties that may have nothing to do with parties. It may have to do with, okay, so for example, stress in other parts of your life. Maybe stress in your relationship uh, with your mom and your dad. Or stress in how you communicate at work. So the problem is, yeah, you have social anxiety. Okay, yeah, I mean, that's that happens. Uh, join the club, right? The everybody club, so that happens. But what's really going on is there are ways that you are interacting with your anxiety throughout the day at work that are maladaptive, and you get to the end of the day, and you haven't dealt with that. You're very stressed out, and all you want, it doesn't feel like stress. It feels like I want to tune out, isolate, you know, binge watch a, a Netflix show. So now it's not even about your social anxiety. I mean, that's part of it, but the social anxiety is just a symptom of how you manage or really mismanage your anxiety throughout the day. So we have to look at, well, how exactly are you mismanaging your anxiety throughout the day? Well, unfortunately, that's difficult to do with cognitive behavioral therapy because it can only look at one situation. It doesn't really explain how anxiety works what it is, what its function is, where it comes up. It's this thing that's holding you back. Same thing with uh, fear of an airplane. Now you can do the cognitive behavioral therapy and you know, the exposure thing and just uh, get on an airplane. They have airplane sim simulators. There's great simulators on YouTube. Being in an airplane, discussing whatever comes up for you. And this can work and you can overcome your fear of an airplane with this, uh, by doing this exposure therapy, but often 
this doesn't get to the real issue, which is often a control issue. So yeah, you can overcome your fear of the airplane, but you haven't really managed your anxiety. And then what can happen is you just develop a fear of something else. Like nobody's really afraid of spiders. Nobody's really afraid of spiders or snakes or anything else. We are more likely to be afraid of these stimuli than other stimuli, of course, you know, going back to archetypes. So that's true. But if you overcome your fear of spiders, that anxiety really hasn't gone away. That's, you know, could be a fear of relationships or issues with your mother or father or control issues you have, difficulty letting control that you project onto spiders because, it is, because it's ultimately easier to manage your fear of spiders than it is to manage, you know, deep-seated uh, anxiety you have about being in a relationship. So there's very little room for contingency, very little room to adjust and make your own, and that is inevitably what happens when you have truth from on high disconnected at least somewhat from reality. You know, same thing with people who want to stop war. I think this is a meme that I <clears throat> excuse me, tweeted a little bit ago. You're riding along in your this is the bike fall meme if you're listening. You're riding along in your bike, I want to stop war. So then you create a bureaucratic organization to stop war. That's sticking the stick or the pole in the the spokes of the in the wheel, the spokes of the bike. Then you fall and you say, well, why does war continue to happen? Because you don't look at what causes war. You just want to stop war. You don't look at what causes the thought. You just want to stop that negative thought. So inevitably what happens is you create this lifestyle that leads to more of the issue that you already have. That can lead to more of the issue that you already have. You know, I look at something like Amnesty International, which I know it's like mostly private donations, but but it does get uh, government money. I, I mean, if you get $1 from the government, you are a government organization at that point, you know, NATO or the UN. What What is war? I mean, war is simply government perpetuating itself. So you create bureaucratic organizations that are more likely to perpetuate themselves through war and you're going to get more war i don't care what the bureaucratic organization says i don't care if the bureaucratic organization is to genocide a group of people because of their ethnicity or race or if it's to stop war you're going to create more war it doesn't matter And that's what's going on with cognitive behavioral therapy you know because you don't understand the, the cause you can't think conceptually about it because all you want is truth, regardless of reality. Truth at all costs. Stability at all costs. And this leaves a lot of crap, a lot of baggage on the table. So it's like a very top-down top versus organic approach. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of repeating myself how to change an emotion versus asking what an emotion is. Or, you know, great example, yeah, great example I have here is like you're in a business and, and you hire an ad buyer. Now, the way a lot of businesses are run, and I've definitely worked in businesses like this and they're not around anymore, is when they hire an ad buyer, they go, okay, we have a budget for whatever it is, $10 an ad. So I want you to go out and sell ads for $10 because that's in our budget. And they, that makes sense on the surface. So you're just looking at the the positive and negative in the in the account sheet or in the QuickBooks as it is, and you buy ads based on that. However, a more organic approach to a company 
this is very much how Amazon is run. I mean, you can criticize Amazon all the time, but there, there's a reason why they took over, and that is because they run their company in this organic approach. When they hire an ad buyer, for instance, they won't just say our budget is $10 per ad. They'll say, here's how much money we're making. Here's how much we're spending on ads. What's the point of an ad is to make money. So it doesn't matter whether it's $10 or $20. You can spend thousands of dollars a day on, on ads. And on ads, if you're making a little bit more than that, then it's a good purchase. It leaves room for flexibility. It makes you ask, well, what's the point of, a, of buying ads in the first place? It's a more conceptual view to a position. So cognitive behavioral therapy in some is it's individualism without a foundation for that individualism, you know, which is great. You know, individualism, I highly endorse it. It's just the extent to which you can create your identity on your own. So yes, we're in control, but it's unclear exactly why. It's somewhat clear. It's not totally unclear. But they do leave something on the table. They, they do leave that vagueness on the table. It's unclear exactly why we're in control. There's really no view of man based in reality that, that can support CBT. We just want the individualism. We want the control. We want the stability. But this leaves something on the table for critical race theory to take over. I think we'll... Yeah, running a little long. We'll spend less time here because I think that this function uh, with CRT is much more explicit. So structures create our issues. This is a Marxist idea. I'm not saying everybody who endorses CRT is a Marxist, but we have to look at where these ideas come from. And that is the materialist framework of no free will. You are simply a product of society. There are structures within society that create a psychological issue, and this leads to dysregulated emotion, uh, explicitly so. So, you know, you know let's say you, you do the critical race theory thing of a privileged walk. And, you know, it's a thing where you're, you start off standing side by side, usually with your classmates, because they do this freshman year of college. You start off side by side, and then they list off uh, instances or attributes of privilege. So if you're white, if you're a Christian, if you're male, if you're cis, if you have parents who are, you know, high economic uh, standing, you know, high high SES, then you take a step forward, and if you don't have those things, you take a step back. So what happens? What happens when you go to, if, let's say up until that point, you've gone to cognitive behavioral therapy, and you know, you've, you've done all this exposure stuff, you know, all this great journaling, which of course can be helpful, but of course it leaves that vagueness on the table. And what happens if, let's say, you're a minority who comes from a poor background and you're on this privileged walk and then by the end of it, you're at the very back. You still have those issues. Right? You still have those issues on the table that kind of behavioral therapy didn't get to. So you go, oh, oh, this is why, this is why I messed up. Because of society, because of the structure of society that leads to this dysregulated emotion. And of course, it's explicitly dysregulated emotion, explicitly dysregulated expression, since it's not your issue. It's society's issue. So anything that CBT leaves on the table, or it doesn't even have to leave it on the table, just can't explain. And if you just are, are doing exposure therapy for your fear of flying, and you're not dealing with your control issues, 
then it's going to leave something on the table or at least leave something vague. So women have issues, of course, because of the patriarchy. Minorities have issues because of whiteness. Trans have issues because of cisness. And what do you do is you fight. There's nothing else to do but fight society, to overturn society. Again, warrior, your social justice warrior. <clears throat> that term was emphasized, or that the word in that term was emphasized. So this is collectivism without context. Kind of behavioral therapy is individualism without context. This is collectivism without context. Yes, we're not in control. Of course, we're influenced by society. Of course we are. And that's how CRT, you know, gets their wedge into your mind. and goes, well, look, there are. But we can obviously see how society does control us. But if there's an extent to which we are in control and we need to understand and, and we need a way, excuse me, to understand that. To what extent are we in control? Or better yet, take how we lack control and use it to our advantage. There's always a way to do this which uh, kind of behavioral therapy can't get to because they're very poor at understanding systems. So guys will read a book on dating, and, and the dating book will say, oh, you got to be an alpha to get girls. And they look at themselves, and they're skinny and weak, and they're a dork, and they you know read books all day, and they're like, oh, well, I'm not an alpha, so I'm not going to get girls, so I'm just going to give up. As opposed to understanding that we live in a plural society of pluralism and there's lots of different niches that we can be a part of so instead of you know yeah if you're a skinny dork uh, you know i wouldn't go to a, a jujitsu tournament to, to gain status but what you could do is maybe go to your local gaming store take part in you know whatever magic the gathering well, i guess they don't do that anymore but board games like be it partake in a board game term you know any any situation where you feel alive and invigorated and where your strengths are played to very well you're just naturally going to be way more likely to attract women in that niche or use trauma f for your own awareness okay so look let's make the case that society is is structured in such a way that uh, gives you trauma i mean that's a stretch, but let's just say that's true. Okay, so now you're walking along with trauma. Um, well, now this trauma is a when is is a lens, excuse me, into your own awareness. Now you're going to have more awareness because of this trauma, and you can make it your own. You can you can talk about it. You you can understand where it comes from. Of course, you can't get this from kind of behavioral therapy. They're just going to look at how the trauma presents as, oh, I don't like going to parties. And they're going to tell you to go to more parties, which, of course, may help a little bit. That's that's the the refrain from this uh, from this video, from this episode is, yeah, it's going to help a little bit. But is, is it really going to help? And in fact, it may hurt long term because the CBT presents as the be all end all of therapy. And when it leaves you feeling a little bit on edge. Then you go, well, it must be society. Again, like I said before, the privilege walk. And hey, maybe what you do is you, when you, as you understand your trauma more and more and, be, and become more aware of yourself and others, what you can do now is begin to help others. Use the information that you've learned about how you've been traumatized to help others with, with how they've gone through a similar experience. And then you watch a movie and you go, oh, wait, this is, this is what every hero of every movie I've ever liked has done, ultimately. Maybe this is simply what I need to do to be a full 
integrated, individuated human is to do exactly what I'm doing now. Maybe this is nothing new. Maybe this isn't about society and everything about what I need to do to grow and evolve as a human based on what I am. So now the final part is how cognitive behavioral therapy causes critical race theory. I hope I've put all the pieces in place so it's really easy to connect them here. Um, the emotional detritus, that's a great word, detritus from cognitive behavioral therapy is fuel for CRT dysregulation. Right? They feed off each other. Fear of bees, for example. Is ultimately about some existential anxiety. You're not really afraid of bees. But when we don't know what anxiety is, the only option is, is to project it. Anxiety is a comfortable, is a very uncomfortable emotion. So when we don't know what it is, and, and we've done the, the CBT thing and have confronted our fear of bees, but it's, didn't get to the existential anxiety, of course, we project it. And after all, Right, this is the wedge that gets CRT into our minds. There are injustices in society. Of course, it exists. I mean, there's always going to be injustices as long as people are interacting. It's going to inevitably happen. Do we understand those injustices? Do we understand where they're coming from? No. We just use them to project our anxiety out onto. So the waste from CBT, the unconscious chaos from CBT is fuel for CRT, and the waste from CRT of course, the conscious chaos is fuel for CBT because we look at the, the chaos going on in um, CRT and how it negatively affects people, uh, like on college campuses. And we go, wow, that person needs therapy. They need cognitive behavioral therapy. And The Coddling of the American Mind by Jonathan Haidt, uh, you know, I think it's a great book, but of course, it endorses CBT to as a compensation for CRT. But because they don't understand the system, they don't understand how your psychology works, how Jonathan Haidt doesn't understand that, he's just perpetuating the problem, even though he thinks he has a great solution. He does not. And ultimately, CBT and CRT are reflections. Well, first, they're both concrete bound to the due to their both of their failures to understand the context where individual, where individualism comes from, where collectivism comes from. And the concrete is ultimately authoritarian. So CBT is submit to certain rules. CRT is submit to a certain worldview that leads a certain chaotic worldview, I would say. So what's the answer to this meme, this circular reasoning meme? What is produced by CBT that causes CRT and what is produced by CRT that causes CBT? Well, it's this. CBT, what it produces is an internal chaos because it leads to repression. And this repression is great fuel for CRT. CRT, of course, leads to external chaos, emotionalism. And this is a great time for somebody who endorses CBT to come in and say, well, what we need to do is to change our thoughts. Is we, we need some emotional modification. And it just goes around in a circle. But it's the same thing with you. Same thing in your own individual life. What is cause, or, or what is the 
the waste from discipline that that causes the Netflix binge, and then what is the waste from a Netflix binge that causes discipline? Same thing, in a sense. Discipline leads to internal chaos. It leads to repression because you're not looking at what caused the lack of discipline in the first place. You're just trying to put these rules on top of you, these rules from on high. And that doesn't get to the root of where the issues came from or where the Netflix binge originally came from. And of course, the repression over time are we do not have actions with emotion without emotion. So if you repress emotions, it comes up in some strange action eventually. And this leads to your Netflix binge. And of course, you do that for a few days. You have this external chaos, this disordered life from the Netflix binge. And you go, oh, I can't do this. And you go read a bunch of, you know, mindset books. Um, and you do the discipline thing. But of course, you never address the issue for what it is. Discipline is the top-down approach. I'm going to put these rules on top of my life. And, and hey, my emotional baggage, it better fit within these rules. But of course it inevitably won't. And then the Netflix is, of course, the revelation, the unconscious revelation from that built-up tension, that pressure. So what's a more uh, healthier way to do this? I know I'm using the same, it's like the circular meme, but just imagine this as an upward spiral. So we have manage your emotions. Learn exactly how to manage the freaking emotion that causes the behavior, that causes the thought. Don't just change the emotion to change the thought and behavior. Actually manage the emotion based on what it is, based on the reality of what emotions must be if we are to have emotions and if psychology is to exist as a field. What must emotions be? Learn that. This leads to a greater range of action because you now have more awareness of your emotion, you have more awareness of your action, more awareness of what you are able to do in the moment, this leads to a new problem. Of course, problems are beautiful things. We want more problems. We want new problems. This is why it's an upward spiral. Neurosis is the same problem over and over again. Growth is a new problem. Over and over, a, a, a continually new problem. I mean, you know, people ask, oh, any crazy stories from therapy? Or, oh, you worked in rehab clinics and, um, you know, sober living houses and you worked in a homeless shelter, Diz. Wow, there must be a lot of uh, crazy stories. No, they're not crazy. I mean, well, so there's some funny because neurosis is funny, but nothing crazy. It's just repetition. That's what neurosis is. It's repetition. It's Laura's mom and, and the end of... Uh, <clears throat> Twin Peaks season three, you know, just smoking and drinking, watching the same, you know, you know, watching the same thing on the television over and over again. It's boring. It's incredibly boring. So you have a greater range of action, a new problem. The problem exposes a new emotional issue. And it may be nothing in your unconscious. It's just a new challenge. And this brings up new emotions for you. So then you manage the emotion. Again, greater range of action. And this is how we reconcile our opposites, our supposed opposites, our conscious and our unconscious. This occurs through connection. We need to talk through these emotions with others. 
And what we do is recreate, right? We do the religion of the self, the small r, religion of the self, capital S self, a small r, religion. And then we create symbols. We do this process enough, we begin to, to see symbols, whether in our dreams or they pop into our mind. And then we connect with others over this symbol, over these symbols. And then if you really want to get into it, and this is why we have civilization in the first place, when you really want to get into it, you have these symbols, you're connecting with others over it, and you build temples for these symbols. But of course, what's the missing piece there is management is management of emotion for what it is. And of course, that's what we do here. This is how you manage anger, manage anxiety. Um, I know you're not going to learn a lot from this, but just to say we have the answer here. We, we know how to manage emotions for what they are. Nobody else, no other therapist, no other psychologist, no other, you know, mindset bro, of course, on Twitter knows how to do this. We do. I would start, if you want, in with empire.com slash book to explain what emotions are and how they work. And then if you're ready to do therapy, either with me or somebody else, I may be able to help you. If I'm not, I'll gladly point you in another direction. Again, we do free consultations in with empire.com slash schedule because it's not just enough to know what emotions are and how they work. Yeah, that is, of course, matters, but you got to process. And process just means to become aware of. You need to become aware of your of your emotional baggage, what's really going on. You need to become aware of what's at the root if you're afraid of flying. You gotta become aware of all the emotions, all the different, you know, seemingly disparate experiences that play into that. And you need to talk through those. You can't just talk to them in any way. You gotta do it in a specific way. You gotta do it based on how how our emotions work. But I just showed there in these emotion diagrams here. And anxiety and anger. And then that's it. Thank you guys uh, for for listening. Thank you for watching. Hope you enjoyed this. And of course, I wish you all the pain and all the joy that comes from being in touch with reality.